Any kayakers? Hands up. Nope. Any paddle boarders? Yeah, were you trying the Sea Banger? I think the Sea Banger Festival had like free kayaking, free paddle boarding. Did anybody go to the festival in Sea Banger? Yeah, brilliant. Good. And later on as well, is it still on? Brilliant. Maybe barbecuing. Any barbecues? Nope. Yeah. So, some people got into it. Some people stayed inside watching box sets or something. Um, and, uh, and of course, the deck chairs. Well, I hear that this weather is going to last into the week. And, uh, and then I imagine that it might turn, unfortunately, by, you know, next week. But as it turns, I will be jetting off to a hot country, Africa. And if you thought I wasn't going to mention Uganda, you're very mistaken. I have less than two weeks to go and I am heading off. And I do sense that it is a Holy Spirit adventure um, for me. And, uh, you know, really sense that God was, was prompting me to give my yes um, for a week. But I have been thinking about um, what if God had asked me to go for two weeks? Or what if God asked me to go to another country for a year? I would take my family with me. Um, but what, what if he asked me something beyond what I felt I could give my yes to? And sometimes they think, oh, no, God would never do that to me. Um, and kind of rationalize it out. Well, I don't really hear God that well anyway. So did I really hear him that time? Um, would I put in like some ear defenders or, or ear plugs and just pretend that, you know, didn't really hear him? Have you ever done that? Um, and, uh, and sometimes he just gets a wee bit louder. Um, we had a, a beautiful um, morning yesterday and headed up to Belfast, just me and Ben. Um, Daniel, we missed you, but it was also nice. And uh, we were walking along the street and um, there was a guy, a homeless guy, and he was saying, you know, do you, do you have any change? I said, oh, no, um, I, I don't. Uh, you know, we're, we're cashless these days, aren't we? And uh, I said, like, oh, no. And as I walked on, um, I, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, you know, but Rebecca, you do. And I was like, oh, but like, it's not, oh. And it was hassle for me, if I'm pure honest. And... Uh, I knew that, like, if that was Jesus sitting there, you know, this is a challenge. And I went back and I said, look, actually, I didn't tell the truth. I, I do have change. It was like 1.20. It wasn't a lot. I was like, you're so welcome to it. And, uh, and I, I walked on. I think Ben had just, like, continued on <laughs> at this point. But it was this moment of, um, you know, recognizing um, just a little prompt. And as I walked away, very simply, I looked at um, just one of the shop windows and it said, good girl. And <laughs> I felt, doesn't God just take us on this discipleship journey just so um, beautifully and simply? And uh, I, to be honest, I just didn't want to be bothered with being interrupted in my beautiful day. Um, but what would it take for my yes to be freely flowing all the time? How, fe how free do I feel to say yes? And what might be holding me back? And I wonder what might hold you back from being able to say yes in the moments. I wonder what you're prioritizing in this season.
Me and my brother used to play this game at the beach. Whenever you went into the squelchy sand, you know, the one that sort of makes this noise of like gloop or squelch. And we would try and like just go as deep as we could and just sink right down and, uh, and see how far could we get like just to our knees. Um, and then you would inevitably hear the call of mum or dad saying, time to go. And you'd be like, whoa. I'm entirely stuck. And you try and shake this gloop from off your leg. But sometimes, like, you needed help to just pull yourself from it. And sometimes you lost a wee jelly shoe in there, and it was just like, you're gone to the deep, deep sand. But sometimes we get so embedded in our own ideas for our future or our everyday and what our plans are, that it's so hard to stay nimble and on our feet, light on our feet, ready to go. But we want to be a people who say yes to going where the Spirit leads, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah. To giving up a job if you sense him asking to living in a renovated garage that someone might have your home for a bit, to donating your car, Ben, (laughs) to being martyred for your faith, just a wee light one there, to working in your nine-to-five job, not primarily for the money, but for a sense of God's purpose, calling you to do your ultimate best work in order to lead well and serve the community, to committing to being the best wife or husband or friend possible to represent how Christ loves the church. To be in the first to arrive for set up team and the last to leave. To say yes to serving in an area that's just needed in the church, either this one or another one. To championing children at the cost of energy and patience in the understanding that he's calling you um, to give your energy and your time um, to this next generation because Jesus's heart for them was just come to me are we nimble to respond to be redirected and to be gloop free able to run along that beach when you hear the call to saying yes and I'm all in no matter what it's a bit of a jump for me like you heard my my sorry story yesterday I recognize a lot of gloop a lot of the time around my feet So I'm hoping I'm not the only one here, and it maybe feels like a bit of a jump for some of you too. So let's explore a passage where we're going to see a community exploding and growing in passion and lean into some of what we see there and look out for some tips on being this nimble community of faith. I'm going to get this wrong, aren't I? Here we go. Acts 11, 19 to 30. If you've got a Bible, I'll give you a moment. Nobody's looking. So (laughs) we're going to keep reading. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch And began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the story. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for the elements that you just want to draw out thank you that this morning we bring our rags and we ask that you would make them beautiful just as we were singing holy spirit will you just do a work in us this morning remove any gloop that you want to amen so let me tell you a little bit about antioch in the hebrew it means speedy as a chariot i love that um, there was a lot that happened in Antioch very quickly. Um, Antioch is now known as Southern Turkey. Um, we love wee map. There it is there. Um, and it became the third largest city of the Roman Empire in size and importance after Rome and Alexandria. It had theaters and temples and baths. There were about 500,000 people there. Um, Bangor has um, 64,480, apparently, and Edinburgh has around 554,000. So in those days, it would have been a big, bustling, ancient commercial centre. It was a political centre in the capital of Syria. It was a thriving cosmopolitan city with every language under the sun, but Greek being the common language. It was the crossroads of culture and trade, 15 miles inland from the sea and on the river Orontes with the desert on the other side. People who had been scattered because of the persecution that came about over Stephen, who was killed for his faith, went as far afield as Cyprus, Phoenicia and Antioch. And these people were speaking about Jesus to Jewish people. But some of them who were from Cyprus and Cyrene started speaking to Hellenists. These were Jewish people who spoke Greek. And all the believers at this stage probably would have been connected into the synagogue. But this was quite casual evangelism. There wasn't the strict adherence to the Jewish law in the same way as in Jerusalem, which also kind of raised this other question um, about their protection and lifestyle that Judaism had given them. It might start to cease and there might not be that same 
protection because they were running in this new lane, a different lane, in the Jesus lane. This is in Cambridge, has a Jesus lane. Love it. I love this idea of these guys just being so engaged in their following Jesus, in their spiritual awakening that they're just brimming over. And then they form this new lane that they just kind of fall into, the Jesus lane. And isn't that, some, that sometimes what happens, um, that whenever our hearts bubble with passion for something, they can get us into trouble a bit. A friend of mine who was a youth worker had such a heart for young people who were unchurched that they kept on getting into trouble with their slightly more conservative leader by having this mob of young people just follow them around. I just can imagine that the young people saw Jesus in them and saw how they loved them. They were paid to do church youth work, but this mass of messy young people just followed them because the youth worker was following their prompting. It was messy. I remember at New Wine, like several years ago, I don't want to think how many years ago, um, I heard Jackie Pullinger um, talk of the mess from allowing her, um, her heart to be guided by the Holy Spirit and be part of healing drug addicts supernaturally, that she literally just saw like masses of people um, set free. And she literally spoke about having to stuff them under her kitchen sink and in cupboards so that they would have somewhere to live. But messy, right? I read a book recently about a guy in America um, who asked God to break his heart and have this desire, started having this desire for this broken community near him. And he brought his wife and his kids, like just these like little girls, and set up house. He lived in this church hall that was run down, just right in the middle of this broken community. And the messy stories um, that came through that time. But they have this, this, this beautiful place of hope that's now renowned as like this refuge of hope. These beautiful, messy stories. It's so vulnerably beautiful how the heart can be used if we give the Holy Spirit permission to speak to it and to prompt it and to fill it and to spill from it. And we see this spilling of hearts that want to share in Antioch about Jesus, about Jesus' love. In Antioch, this cosmopolitan Christianity began to emerge, a messy merging of cultures, but in unity. Interestingly, the words Lord, Kyrios, and Savior, Soter, I'm probably pronouncing them totally wrong, in Greek, they were used a lot in the religious world of the Eastern Mediterranean. Many people were already trying to find in, the myst in mystery cults this divine Lord who could guarantee salvation and immortality. They, they then heard about Jesus and they found what they were looking for. Like they'd been on this active search. They didn't need you two singing, we still haven't found it. They were like, we've found it. And then news spread over to Jerusalem 
mm, the question arose, like, was Antioch out of control? Like, we need to send some, one of our guys, um, we need to send somebody over there. So who are they going to send? They're going to send Barnabas. And Barnabas's character was just right up there. He was this Jew from Cyprus with this outstanding reputation. It says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Well, he sounds like a great one to send. And he goes to Antioch. And I Google map this, right? 220 hours walking. Like, that is a prompting, right? <laughs> and you're like, that takes a yes. That's nimble feet. Sweaty, blistery, smelly, but it's nimble feet, right? James Brown Smith says, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Hold that. Barnabas' advice for Antioch was to stay true with all your heart. The people started calling themselves the followers of the way from the get-go. But people kind of used this slang term for them. They were like, you're Christos people. People who talk about Jesus all the time. You're a Christos person. It was used as just this kind of rude remark, eh, Christos people. <laughs> um, and Christ was Greek for Messiah. And, and it just became that, yeah, this is what they were known by. But it sounds so polished. Now, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? But it wasn't like that. It was like, you Christos people. <laughs> um, am I someone who could be termed as a Christos person? I remember DC Talk. Anyone remember DC Talk, right? Um, singing, uh, what would people do if they um, heard that I am a Jesus freak? Could I be a Jesus freak, a Christos person? Are you a Christos person, a follower of Jesus to the very core? James um, Brown Smith says, I need to be reminded that as a follower of Jesus, I am peculiar in the best sense of the word. Peculiar, that is, to the world around me that does not live by the teachings of Jesus. My life is rooted in the eternal and strong kingdom of God. The roots of my life are in the future, safe and secure, which gives me the strength to live unselfishly, to strive for unity in the midst of diversity, to forgive even when it's not easy, to set my standards high, to live generously, to long be worshipping in the house of the Lord and to be a witness of new life to a dying world. And this community in Antioch followed Jesus' teachings and lived in part. Barnabas saw that he needed someone to give deeper roots and maybe deal with some of the messiness in the best way. So he went to Tarsus to get Saul. I think he probably went by boat because I was thinking that would be the easiest way, wouldn't it, than to trek all around. Um, and Saul responded and was nimble. Um, Saul was from Tarsus 
Um, but probably in this moment, where he had um, been up here on a pedestal with his family, he was, had fallen right down to be um, disowned by his family. So there was a lot going on in Saul's heart. And he remained nimble. And he came to Antioch. A number upon number of people added to the group, to the Christos people group. And in Matthew 7, it says, good trees bear good fruit. And I can only imagine that these guys were, I don't, maybe I can't just imagine, maybe we hear that these guys were good trees that dealt with their hearts and they, bear, they bore good fruit. Prophets came over from Jerusalem, and one particular, um, Agabus, um, prophesied that there would be a famine over the whole of the Roman Empire. And in 46 AD, famine reco- there was a famine that was recorded in Judea. And each of the disciples determined, according to their ability, what they could send to help. They were nimble with their property, with their money, And we notice in this passage how Luke talks about God's grace at work. And we see this and how it's revealed in the overflow of hearts, in responsiveness, in these grace moments of giving to the need, in evangelizing, in the oneness of purpose that they were experiencing. It just sounds so beautiful and so exciting. Eugene Peterson said, using Romans 6, 3 to 4, we are a splendid story of grace. I am sacred, set apart for God, special and empowered by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. How are we splendid stories of grace? And if we think back to you two again, Um, There's a line in the song, grace makes beauty out of ugly things. And I'm brought back to the way the people that I mentioned in Antioch, how they just spilled. To my friend, how their heart just overflowed. To Jackie Pullinger, just spilling hearts. And it's a bit messy. And I'm aware and so aware in those stories of God's grace in the midst, working in the mess, taking the rags and making something beautiful. You see, I think he starts with those places of mess. I think he uses our brokenness to spill into a beautiful, messy story. Wimber spoke about the way in being the way on. The encounter we have with God in that we recognize our mess and he meets us in that mess. And we walk on and we walk out with our beautiful, messy story that meets the mess in another and they respond. Who here has a messy story? We all have those, don't we? Stories of hurt, betrayal, disappointment with others, disappointment with ourselves, parenting blunders, offense, broken relationships, how we messed up, anger, lust, unforgiveness, shame. I could keep going. The list continues. 
the people living in Antioch would have had messy stories. There was a lot of artsy culture. There was a lot of prostitution. It was a commercial center. It was vibrant. It was a clashing of so many cultures. And anyone who was anyone was there. Have you been to the streets of Antioch? Have you seen such and such? They were there. There's going to be messy stories, aren't there? Are we okay with mess? Are we okay accepting that we have mess? Or are we going to play the cover-up game? Or maybe we feel we should? Because there's a messy city of Bangor out there, right on our doorstep. And they need to know that their mess has hope. I was driving to church and bumped into, not literally, my next-door neighbor. And she's like, where are you going? And uh, I said, I'm off to church. And she said, well, pray. Pray for the mess of the world. I thought, we know that there's mess. They need to know the mess has a hope, has a restored story, and it can be a beautiful mess. So let's be okay with saying we hurt and we get it wrong and saying that we are a messy, broken people. And I really sense that we are called to be people who tend to the heart. But we really need to tend to our hearts and expose them continually to Jesus and not hide them because the enemy just loves it when we do that and there is such power in shame. We need to expose our hearts. We want to be people who recognize what our heart's cry is, what the ache of it is, and invite the Holy Spirit into that. It's either an awesome supernatural interaction or it's not. Holy Spirit is either able to make beauty from our ashes or he's not. If you really believe it and want to be a Christos person, welcome the Holy Spirit into your mess. And from that, our story of brokenness can turn into beautiful, messy stories. Hopelessness has no space there, and hopelessness will flee. Despair will go as he inhabits and makes a home in us. He'll clean our house out. He'll lift the carpet if we ask him to, if we really desire him to. Has anyone ever heard a beautiful, messy story? So there's messy stories we hear a lot of. There's beautiful, messy stories. A mess that's been redeemed. A messy story that the Holy Spirit was invited into and it's been transformed. A marriage, a healing, a financial breakthrough, a hopeless situation in work, in mental health. We heard beautiful stories last week at the encounter night. These stories enrich um, who we are. I don't know if anyone saw on the news this girl um, who has realized that some of the Ireland's songs are being lost um, for generations to come. And so she is trying to craft them into songs and into a way of um, rejuvenating this, these, this music. 
um, and passing it on to generations a lot younger, to the, to the rising up generation. And so she's, she's meeting groups of communities and sharing the songs. And I was talking to somebody yesterday just, and, um, and they were saying, you know, we tell all these stories about, um, uh, you know, St. Columbanus or St. Comgal. Like, these are our, our heritage, but how long until we stop telling them? How long will the next generation have the same interest in this heritage, in these stories? We need to be people who pass on our messy, our beautiful, messy stories. It's on us to, um, to pass them on and to keep that, that going, the fire. There was a guy, Paul Kyle, I'm sure I've said this before, but he sang this song, does the flame burn brighter in your hand than it burned in the hands of my father when he said, it's your turn. And we are responsible for the stories. We can pass on loads of messy stories. People do every day, you hear them, and it sounds quite hopeless. Or we can actually take a moment to tend to our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to redeem our mess and pass on these stories for our future. From these places of redeemed mess, we see good fruit, we see life, we see adventure, and the spill of our redeemed stories, of our redeemed hearts and passion and hunger for his kingdom. The kingdom of God is not about rules, but about the goodness and confidence and laughter we discover when we let the Holy Spirit lead us. Who wants an adventure that isn't all planned out by us, that has twists and turns and blows our expectations? How many of us have been stuck in the gloop of our hearts and forgotten to invite the Spirit in as our partner and friend? Who needs a reawakening and to be swept off their feet again into a new dance? Who recognizes that their heart has become a little bit harder recently and would love the softness of the spirit to tend to it? Let's allow him to tend to our hearts, to free us from the gloop and to run free again, ready to do whatever he wants us to do. What kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to stay in the same place, safe and secure in what you know? Or are you up for an adventure like Barnabas? To be moved to response like the Christos people? To be broken for the sake of the broken? To be loved by the Father in order to be able to love so deeply into others? To be Christos people? To be peculiar, freak-like in walking away from conformity? but towards kingdom truth and the life. To be nomads on earth, but sure of citizenship in heaven. To be friends with Jesus. To journey with the Holy Spirit. To soar in places that you've never imagined. To fully expand and live life the way you were always meant to. Not being held back, but being free. And we just say, come Holy Spirit. Let's stand.
There was a prayer earlier um, before the service, and it was, um, come and do whatever you want to. Do we really mean that? I invite you to put your hand on your heart. We're just going to take a moment just to tend to our hearts. I invite you to ask your heart. This might feel a bit weird for some people if you're not used to it, but just ask your heart, how are you doing? And let it respond. If you'd rather ask, just how am I doing? If that's easier for you, do that. And I invite you, as you're doing that, as things rise, as feelings rise, as you become aware of how your heart is doing, I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to come. Because so often we try and fix and mend and tend to our hearts. And he just wants an invitation. let him come and my experience is the Holy Spirit will come if you welcome him but if you, if you want to say stop at any point you, can, you have total free will Holy Spirit, we love your presence. We love how you just long to have access into our spaces that for some reason we think are better left held under shame that we can control. Well, we speak against control in this place. We say there's no room for control because we can't work it out. We get caught in cycles of shame and we say come Holy Spirit tend to our hearts and release us to be Christos people this morning let's worship <laughs>